0: Women to Succeed. Now, let's welcome the host of the Empowerment Radio Show, Randy Goodman.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Randy here with the Empowerment Radio Show and my very special guest, Mark Littman, who is a paramedic and an inventor, an entrepreneur extraordinaire. Mark, you have a wealth of information in the medical field. I can't wait to hear about it. Let's go. <laughs> well, thank you for being here no with problem, us, Mark. No problem. Okay, so can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing and what businesses you've opened up
2: and what led you there? Just kind of give us the whole story. The whole story. story. Yeah. Well, I was born March 25th, 1967 <laughs> <laughs> in, in Toronto, Canada. <laughs> That's okay, they can figure out how old I am now. Uh, no, uh, my career after school started off in business with my dad um, in the garment manufacturing business, and uh, went to school for that, and um, was doing that with my dad for quite a few years, and my dad uh, sold off the business, and. You know, I, I presented another uh, business opportunity to him to get into uh, the billiard and comedy club business. Uh, back in the day, it was a, it was an up-and-coming type of thing, and uh, my dad and I went into a business together um, in, uh, in uh, Richmond Hill, Ontario, Canada, where we set up a, a billiard and comedy club that we ran together for about eight years, and then um, we sold that off, and I was kind of a little lost as to what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And um, I joined the Canadian Ski Patrol because uh, throughout my, my, uh, my adolescent years, I was really concerned about uh, medical and helping people. And whenever there's a problem in the house, you know, my family and friends would always come to me and say, Hey, Mark, should I do this medically or should I do that medically? And I would always um, be up on different journals and things like that. So I thought, you know what, Canadian Ski Patrol could be kind of fun because I love skiing. Um, the whole idea of helping people and being an ambassador on the hill was was, was very enticing. And um uh, being single at the time a great way to meet women, which was kind of an incentive too. Um, so I joined and really, really loved it. And after the very first year of uh being a ski patroller, I thought, um, you know, this might be my niche. And at thirty two years of age I decided that um it was time to maybe go back to school. So uh I um I put my life on hold for two years, and I devoted myself to going back to paramedic school and learning how to become a paramedic, and uh, graduated in, uh, in May of 2001, and started working as a paramedic, uh, on-the-road paramedic, for two services, Simcoe uh, County up in Barrie, Ontario, and, uh, and York Region, um, also in, uh, in York Region. <laughs> Ontario, <laughs> Thornhill, Richmond Hill, Vaughan, that type of area, and uh, that's kind of where where my path has led to this uh, this whole idea of uh, helping people and uh, and bringing knowledge to to the forefront. Um, in the process of being a paramedic, I realized that not only do I like the physicality and working on the road, but at 34 years of age. Um, To retire, uh, full pension, I'd have to be about 65, still hucking ambulance uh, and the patients and and stretchers and things like that. And I thought, you know what, I would love to get in front of people and talk and teach. And in 2008, I decided that I wanted to start a first aid and CPR training company and um, created a company called STAMAR, S-T-A-M-A-R-E-M-S. And most people are familiar with EMS standing for emergency medical services for us, it's education made simple. Nice. Yes. Like that. So, uh, and uh, and I've really been working hard with developing that company now. And uh, in the uh, in the six seven years that we've been doing this, uh, basically started out with no clients and was sitting on the phone and making phone calls. To now we have over 400 clients. Um, under the, uh, the EMS, uh, the same R EMS umbrella, uh, we've got instructors that are out there teaching for us, and uh, the company is moving forward. So we're very excited about that.
1: That's phenomenal, phenomenal. And it's it's such a funny route that you've taken to go from kind of one extreme to another extreme over there. So what made you decide to become uh, a paramedic in the first place I know you mentioned that people would always come to you and ask you medical questions but why like <laughs> you're just this random guy that they decide <laughs> you you're gonna be the medical guy
2: because so, I'm a good looking dude okay maybe that's it yeah, I don't know <laughs> so what
1: happened like why would you know first of all why did they come to you mm-hmm. to look for medical advice what was it what did you study what was mm. what were you passionate about then um, you know and then What made you really get into being a paramedic? Like, really, was it just being on the ski slopes and helping people? Or was there something else clicking in there? Mm -hmm. Like. What was that journey?
2: Well, I think, I think in everybody's um, uh, career path, we, uh, I think the average they say is that someone is going to change careers like six or six times in their whole path of, of what they do. And for myself, I think it really came down to uh, finding the niche and finding um, what really made me passionate about doing what I wanted to do. I mean, I did a lot of different jobs in, in the restaurant field, but I was never actually happy about doing it. And you know, with family and friends, they knew that I had some knowledge um, with the first aid, uh, reading textbooks, uh, doing the the um, the um, the ski patrol. I was a Boy Scout when I was younger, so I, I I was really keen on the the first aid and things that had to do with that. So it, it, it kind of was a, a point in my life where I looked and said, you know what? What am I going to do? And what do I love love to do? And the, the whole idea, like I said, about the ski patrol was, was very enticing, and it was kind of like the icing on the cake. After that, that first year of doing and helping and, and, and taking the courses that they offer, it was like, you know what, this is my path. Um, this is what I need to do, and in order to increase my knowledge and, 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 and fulfill myself with, with what I want to do for the rest of my life, it meant going back to school. And that's what led me to to, uh, to the paramedics and to, to getting involved in that.
1: That's phenomenal. Well, I love the fact that you love helping people so much, and uh, and that you're so
2: passionate about it. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is a, a, a different way of life. I mean, a lot of people look at it as a thankless job. Um, in most cases, we're coming, we're we're seeing people when they're at their worst, uh, when they're hurt or they need help. And, you know, the, the, the one time out of 10 that someone turns to you and says, thank you, there's such a high from that. You know, you save somebody's life. It's like, oh, my God, like you walk out of that hospital and you're on cloud nine because you save somebody's life. All right. Yeah. Um, I mean, and there's not too many careers and people can turn around and say that they've saved people's lives before mm-hmm. or they've helped people out to make their lives better. Or the person that was potentially trying to harm themselves after I talked with them, turn around and say, wow, thank you. Mm-hmm. Like, that's powerful stuff. Oh, yeah. And and I feed off of that. And I love that. And I love to help people. That's I mean, we don't become paramedics to become rich because mm-hmm. you're not going to become rich being a paramedic. Mm-hmm. You get into the field because you truly like to help people. Mm-hmm.
1: I want to make a comment to that okay? because you and I have known each other a long time and uh, as friends, you know, we've gone out in the neighborhood, we've driven together in cars together and one thing that I always see about you is, you know, people get into business like people say, um, you know, why did you become a teacher? Right. Especially students, especially when teachers are nasty to the kids. And it's like, really, why did you become a teacher? Right. Clearly, you don't care. Right. So when I'm with you and there happens to be maybe a medical emergency or something questionable, you're like bang on on it.
2: Yeah, we've had You've, that happen a couple of times well, in our car together. Well, let me tell yeah. the story because okay. I want
1: to tell this story. Okay, but, fantastic. Yeah. Um, actually, I'll let you tell the story. But the reason I'm bringing it out because that is an incredible example of you really, truly being passionate about helping people. Like, you're, Whether you're on the job or off the job, you're on. You're always on and that impresses the crap out of me because no matter what you do in your life, one, it should be something you're passionate about and two, when you're passionate about it, you are always on. You always want to help people in that field and you don't even hesitate. So you and I were in the car Mm -hmm. and we won't say where we were, but we were driving and something happened. You, yeah, want you, want, you want me him? to tell us? The you thing? can tell
2: us. No, story. we were on this um, this uh, this street and um, pulled off the side of the road and I saw a bunch of people standing around the the centre median and I said, Randy, uh, I, I think you remember, I said, the, I think somebody got hurt and I ran out, got out of the car, ran across, identified myself as an off-duty paramedic and it soon turned out to be uh, a gentleman who is, was riding his bike across the road going, north, uh, going from north to south and a car was making a, uh, a left-hand turn to go, uh, to go uh, east and clipped the back of the wheel of the, car, of the bicycle, and the guy went flying through the air and landed on the handlebars of his bike. And uh, EMS had not been uh, arrived yet, no police, nobody there, and uh, you know, I ended up stabilizing the, the patient and talking to him and keeping him uh, uh, conscious and alert before the, the actual uh, on-duty paramedic showed up. And that's really how I, I live my, my life. Like, I, I can't drive by uh, an accident and um, not stop if there's no emergency services there to see and, and, and make sure that everyone's okay, knowing that if something was wrong and I didn't stop and could have maybe helped someone, that I would real, feel really bad not, um, not being able to, uh, um, to have stopped and, and helped them in that emergency situation. So totally it's, just, it's just the way I operate. I mean, in uniform or out of uniform, um, I'm not afraid to make that that advancement to try and help somebody, even in an off-duty capacity.
1: Well, I love that because so many people are afraid to go and help a Samaritan or to go help somebody um, because they're afraid of a lawsuit or they're afraid of someone coming out. I'd rather save that person's life
2: or help them than... Well, uh, you know, there's laws out there that protect the Good Samaritan. Um, in in uh, Canada, we have a Good Samaritan Act law that um, allows a Good Samaritan to actually help out without the fear of being uh, sued in any way, as long as they do what they know how to do. Um, you know, uh, when we talk about training people... Uh, we train them in different capacities of first aid and CPR, but we never teach anybody how to do a field tracheotomy on someone. So I would never expect uh, a, a, a good Samaritan to uh, to try and uh, cut someone's throat open to try and save their life when they can't breathe. Although we see it a lot on TV, and if you have a pen and a knife, you're good to go type of thing. Um, but you know, if you do something that you're not trained to do, then obviously you open up uh, yourselves to to a lawsuit. But You know, uh, we tell people and we train them very simple. In in an emergency situation, the the most minimal thing that you can do for somebody is making that 911 phone call. Mm -hmm. And some people don't even realize that making the 911 phone call is indirectly helping that person.
0: Oh,
1: it's directly helping them for sure. It's not physical, but
2: you're making a phone call and that's what's going to get emergency services people there. So we encourage people that even if you have no medical training whatsoever, take the few seconds to make that take the few seconds to make that 911 phone call, so at least somebody can get to that patient in in, uh, in a, a timely manner and fashion, so that they can help out.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I want to quickly tell another uh, scenario that we were we happened to see when we were together was uh, we were driving and we were actually right. Turning onto a hospital street, and the hospital was right there. And a young lady, um, I would say she's high school age or even lower, um, where she decided she was going to jaywalk, and the light was green, so the driver was not doing anything wrong. But unfortunately, he clipped this girl just as she was getting to the end of her destination across the street. And she actually went flying through the air, and you and I had witnessed this. You pulled over, like, wasn't even a hesitation. You pulled over, ran over there, and stayed with her, uh, made sure that the EMS was called, and we were literally right on hospital property. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Uh, we weren't going to move her, of course, of course because not. you don't know what kind of injuries, but she went flying through the air, this poor little thing, and. Uh, You know, she wanted to get up and thought she was fine, but, uh, you know, and hopefully she was. But, uh, you know, you stayed with her. You did all the things that you're supposed to do if you're a paramedic (laughs) and, and waited until they arrived. And, you know, for anybody who's out there, that's what you should do, regardless whether you're a paramedic or not. If you're helping somebody, you know, hopefully you're able to stay with them until the paramedics do arrive. But just another example of somebody who's truly passionate about their work and, you know, living what they love. And I commend you for that, Mark. Thank you. It's Phenomenal. So what would you say are the most, you know, let's stick with the paramedic and CPR mm-hmm. um, stuff for sure, now. sure. But what would you say are the most challenging issues that people face? Like when they have an emergency, you know, how do they know it's an emergency? How do they not know it's an emergency? When do you call 911? When? when don't you? When do you go searching for help? <laughs> like, you know, these are challenges that people could have. Sure.
2: sure. Um, well, let's talk with about uh, when to call 911. Uh, you know, we're. we're I'm assuming that most of your audience, they're, they're, they're adults, they're not children here. Um, when you come across a situation that you feel is, is an emergency, I would not hesitate in telling you that making the 911 phone call is better than not. Um, I always deal with this type, of a, um, this type of a saying when I do my courses, is that treat for the worst and prove the best. And if people live by that motto, they'll never do anything wrong. I mean, even in the field of being a paramedicine, I mean, when a dispatcher gets a 911 phone call, they're listening to what's going on, and you know, I would say probably eight out of ten times we're being sent to the call, lights and sirens. Why? Because the dispatcher is thinking the worst-case scenario, and if it is the worst-case scenario, they really want the paramedics there as quickly as possible. When the medics get there they will then decide on whether, you know, it really is a, an emergency or it's not. And then we may, you know, we still may take a patient to the hospital, but maybe we're not going back by lights and sirens. Mm-hmm. So even within the field of paramedicine, um, we're using that, that theory or that, 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 that uh, saying, if you want to call it that, treat for the worst improve the best. So when it comes to the general public, I encourage people to make the 911 phone call if they think it's needed. Absolutely because if they don't make the phone call and it really is a situation that warranted it that there could be someone who is seriously injured or someone who dies because somebody wasn't sure whether they should or shouldn't or are they going to tax the system by making a call when maybe it shouldn't be there the paramedics job is not to sit in the in the ambulance base or um you know watching tv or or whatever When we sign up for this job, our shifts are anywhere between uh, 10-hour shifts or 12-hour shifts. And the job is to be out there servicing the community. I mean, your tax dollars are Mm -hmm. how we get paid. So if we get a call for someone who's cut their finger, it's our responsibility to go to that call. Whether we like it or not, that's what you sign up for. And if if the, the bystander or general public feels that that's a 911 phone call, you make the call. Mm-hmm. There shouldn't be any question whatsoever, oh, am I going to get in trouble, right. you know, or shouldn't I? Now, if it's, a, if, it's a, if it's a general misuse of the service, that's a different story. Mm-hmm. When there's, you're calling 911 because somebody just wants to see lights and sirens and everybody's showing up and there really isn't a call, um, yes, then there, there, there's definitely legal implications that could happen to somebody if they get caught mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. But um, again, I'm going to say treat for the worst and prove the best, make that phone call and get, the, get emergency services there so that we can determine whether or not um, that person needs um, hospitalization or needs treatment uh, right at the scene. So I know you had another question, but I forgot what it was.
1: <laughs> well, I'll, I'll add in a second, but yeah. you know, just to add to what you were saying, even if it doesn't look too bad, sometimes people have internal injuries, Correct. you don't know, maybe an artery got clipped, maybe, you know, with your cut finger, you don't know how bad it, you know, if it's down to the bone or whatever, yeah, of course, for you're sure. going to require stitches, yeah. bare minimum, right? Sure. So, I mean, you don't know what kind of internal damage is going on, you don't know what kind of um, mental implications there are, Absolutely. if somebody fell and hit their head, Absolutely. it's better and safer to go get checked, than to just pretend everything's okay. Correct. So I I I totally agree with you there, Mark. Um, Well, I guess I have to. (laughs) 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 Okay, so, you know, I guess the challenging issues that people face are, you know, make, I guess, deciding whether they should
2: call or not. so I think one of, the, one of the biggest issues out there is the fear factor, or the anxiety, or the oh my god, what do I do, what do I do, and um, and you know that's where we really have to look at um, at the person, and again, it comes back down to um, to making that phone call, uh, trying to stay as calm as you can. Uh, if you're if you're dealing with somebody that you know, it's in their best interest that you are calm that you try to to, to, uh, to treat them in any way that you can and make the 911 phone call. I mean, we jokingly say in our classes, you know, tell the person they're going to be fine, they're going to be okay, 911 has been called. You know, never turn to that patient and go, I'm sorry, you're going to die. Now, right? probably not a good idea to say that to somebody. No. No, um, regardless of what's going on in your head. Right. Um, and, and, you know what, the way I look at it is that, if I was the person that was lying down on the ground and I was the person that was hurt, I would hope that somebody would stop and help me out, okay. either in a physical manner or just by making the 911 phone call. And I think people lose that idea of wanting to get involved because they think, oh, someone else will do it, mm-hmm. okay? And that's a big problem because um, in the courses we te- we talk about, well, you know what, if you're not calling 911 because you think someone else is going to make the call, they're probably thinking the same thing. And so is the person next to them, and so is the person next to them. And what ends up happening is nobody's making the phone call. So, you know, we encourage people to make the phone call and never think, oh, my goodness, that somebody is going to overload the, the 911 system. In fact, the dispatchers encourage more phone calls um, to come because the more time, the more calls that are made uh, because uh, due to an incident, the the higher the awareness is for that incident and people have different perspective uh, perspectives of about what's going on at a scene so some person making the phone call may see one person injured and another person from a different perspective may see more people so now they're getting these phone calls made to 911 and the 911 dispatcher is going well hey maybe we should be sending more than one ambulance to this call so we really encourage people stay calm be focused Get the call made, which is very important, Mm -hmm. and then start dealing with the patient or with the person that's hurt.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Thank you. Uh, So what would you tell people about trying to get into this industry? Is it difficult?
2: Well, the field of paramedicine, uh, it's not an easy field. I mean, you have to um, have good, uh, especially at a high school level, coming out of high school, uh, you need to have a good uh, science, math, and, and, um, and uh, biology background. Uh, you can get into the paramedicine program right out of high school. It's a two-year program as it stands right now. Uh, there are, this is in, in, in Ontario, Canada, right? Um, there, are, there is actually a, um, a bachelor's degree in paramedicine, which if someone was really interested could take it to a four-year program. Uh, the field, it, it is a competitive field out there. And um, the reason it is very competitive is due to the nature of what people are doing, the services want the cream of the crop. They really do. And, um, and part of that, getting the cream of the crop, is going through this very competitive process. So even after you finish your two years of school, there's um, a provincial exam that you have to write. It's a, it's a six hour exam, three hours in the morning, three hours in the afternoon. Uh, you need to get 70% or greater. But that doesn't guarantee you a job yet. And what that does guarantee you is the opportunity to go and apply now to different services. And in Ontario, Canada, there's 52 services. So you have options um, to go. But for each service, you have to do individual testing. And it's then a a competition. If the service wants 15 people, they're going to take the top 15. And if the the lowest uh, mark... Of the top 15 is 90% then they're not taking anyone that's 88 they're not taking one that's 89 they're not taking anyone that's 85 and those are really good marks to mm-hmm, get mm-hmm. but they're gonna they're gonna look at those people that are in the 90s or higher because that's what they want so it is very competitive um, you have to be passionate about what you want to do um, you can't be discouraged because it is it is a very tough program I went into it as an mature student But we started off our program in September with uh, almost 50 students. We had about 25 of them were Christmas graduates. I joke about that, but a Christmas graduate means that they were gone before uh, at the Christmas break. They didn't cut the mustard. And at the end of the day, when the two-year program was done, we graduated with, I think, close to 15 people out of starting with
1: 50. Wow.
2: So you really got to be passionate about wanting to do it and getting involved in it and um, you have to keep your skills like it's very very important and you need to you need to study and uh, and, and know what you want mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of other opportunities out there I mean uh, people that don't necessarily get on an in-line type of service um, there's patient transfer companies um, you can work as uh, set medics for movies uh, you can teach if that's what you want to do. Um, in other areas of Canada, you can work on or even the world, you can work on oil rigs. I was in the oil industry for a while, working um, out in uh, Western Canada as a paramedic out there. Oh, wow. um, uh, uh, cruise ships now are looking for paramedics to work on the cruise ships, which for you know someone that doesn't have any ties and can be gone for four months at a time, um, that's a great opportunity, and the money is fantastic. In doing that, so there, I, I don't wouldn't, wouldn't want to discourage anybody to becoming a paramedic, but it's not a cakewalk, that's for sure. Uh, and you know, people need to understand that you know you're going to be saving people's lives, and you know they don't want a 65 percent person being right. out there trying. And I don't <laughs> think the person that you, that you want saving your life should only have 65% knowledge. You want somebody that has the 85, the 90, and, and so on and so forth. So, um, like I said, it is a competitive process, and but I would never discourage anybody. But, they, you know, you really have to be committed to it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I know we've kind of focused on, uh, you know, that area of your life. Uh, with the, being a paramedic and also having your own business and training with CPR and whatnot, and again, tell us that website.
2: So our uh, our company is called Stamar EMS. That's S-T-A-M-A-R E-M-S. The website is triple W uh, and uh, they can go there and check out the website and see uh, and and take a look at the different programs and courses that we uh, that we offer throughout um, Ontario, Canada. Okay,
1: so you. I've also accomplished something extraordinary, as well that you haven't mentioned yet. No, no. <laughs> kind
2: of keeping like that, kind of keep it not in the in the hat for a little bit. But um, you know, as a paramedic back in 2008, um, I realized that there was a really big issue with the current um, medical ID systems that um, people are wearing, and that they're hoping that paramedics um, in a in a critical situation would have the opportunity to um, look at these ID bands or bracelets and um, be able to get the information. And the uh, the most current one in the marketplace, um, basically uh, what ends up happening is um, when a first responder or paramedic comes on scene, they would have to uh, flip the band over. There's a, uh, a collect call number there that they would have to call. Uh, then they would have to give an ID number over the phone to, a disc, to an operator and then sit on the phone and actually talk to that operator uh, to get information on the patient and the problem is that as paramedics fire and police we just don't have the luxury of time to be able to do that if we're on scene with a patient we need to be hands-on and starting to deal with that person um before they go sour or potentially could die on us so i thought there's got to be a better way out there and um i invented a product where um it's a, a silicone type band that's waterproof shockproof there's no batteries in it whatsoever and now um, the paramedics are being educated that they can actually take their smartphone, tap the band with their smartphone, and instantaneously get personal and medical information on that patient right to their phone, um, with the um, with the advantage of having um, a text to speech function that now tells the paramedic all this information while they can put their device down on the ground and be hands on the patient while that information is coming to them, but furthermore. They, uh, on their phone or their device, they now have a picture of that patient. They can get general information on them, name, address, telephone number, uh, next of kin, blood type, health card numbers or insurance numbers. We can put up x-rays and ECGs um, on the patient. We can um, put up do not resuscitate orders, organ donating cards, their vital signs. Um, we can look at their medications, their, um, their dosages and frequency. We can look at their family's medical history. We can look at their medical history. All this information now uh, is right at the fingertips of the paramedic. And the nice part about this is that if the patient is unconscious or unresponsive, or the, one of the biggest things now is because of, of um, diversity in, in cultures, is that we have a hard time coming into different cultures and maybe not be able to speak to them or to communicate properly. That the first responder can just tap the band and the information is right there without having to actually speak with the patient.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Phenomenal. It's a great product. Yeah, it's a great product, and um, it's uh, it's slowly starting to move throughout the Ontario market. the uh, The product name is called Code for Armor. C O D E. The number four, and then A R M O U R. dot com. If mm-hmm. you want to check the website. Uh, you know, I'm the guy that came up with the idea and, and the inventor of, the, of Code for Armor, and uh, it's, a, it's just another part of my puzzle when it comes to, um, to um, being a first responder, being a paramedic. It's just, you know, I looked at a situation that needed a resolution and came up with a resolution, and now we have a product and a service that's out there that people can wear and know that when a paramedic, fire, or police come on scene that their information is going to get to the right people, not wearing a band that they think they're going to have protection when really nobody's using it. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame.
1: Mm-hmm. And so was it a specific incident that made this come to mind or you saw a need for it?
2: Um, well, there. I mean, I, in my 13 years as a paramedic, I've, I've definitely crossed uh, a, a lot of people with these medical alert. A um,
1: mitzvah.
2: Yeah. Huh? <laughs> what? A bar mitzvah. A bar mitzvah, yeah. I've come across many people wearing these um, medical type bands and and realize that, you know, it's great you flip it over and it says allergic to peanuts or it says sulfa allergy or whatever it is, but we just can't expand on that and we don't get any more information. And in the 13 years as a paramedic, I've never actually made that collect call to the service because we just don't have the time. And um, that was kind of the... the, the idea that there has to be a better way of doing this. And then I just started researching and trying to figure out how we can do this and how it can be, can be done. And, you know, I found some key players, um, you know, a, a university IT guy that loved the idea. And, you know, we started sitting down and coding together. You know, I mean, I'm not a coder by any means, but he took the ideas and what I wanted it to do. And he sat at the computer and started coding. And that's you know you look at you look at, um, you look at um, Apple you know Steve Jobs and it started in his garage with a bunch of guys mm-hmm. you know it kind of has the same the same lines here you know it, me and him sitting in his basement figuring this stuff out and working nights I remember sitting in my backyard at two three o'clock in the morning I'm on my computer he's on his computer and we're we're talking to each other trying to, to make this thing work. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, you know, it's slowly coming to fruition now. And um, it's nice to see that an idea can become reality. And not only just reality, but people see great value in it, both as a consumer of Code Farmer and the emergency services see this as a huge benefit to them to be able to get that information that that could really help them um, when that information may not be available as it stands today. Well,
1: that's phenomenal because, you know, I know we've talked about this before, but, you know, when you're unable to articulate or communicate with someone, and that can be people in all sorts of areas. It could be a trauma that just happened to you that caused you not to be able to communicate. It could be a special needs person. It could be the elderly. It could be any reason. Where someone is unable to communicate with you and tell you what just happened or what's wrong or what the issue is or what my medical history is or what I'm allergic to or so many different things yeah. that they could need to tell you and not be able to. And the fact that just wearing, you know, like a piece of jewelry, basically, basically what it you is, know, yeah. um, a bracelet mm-hmm. and, and the medic can immediately... No questions asked. Don't even worry about trying to communicate with me. I'm going to find out right here. Get the information, the past history information, even if you don't know what just happened right there. Yes. At least you're 10 steps ahead. Absolutely. Right? And yes. having that information and maybe you will refrain from doing something or giving them something that they may react to. Mm-hmm.
2: So that's just... And the nice thing download. about about Code Farmer is that it is, um, it is a, a, an app that anyone can download to their phones. The, the information that goes into the app is the, the information coming from the user or a family member on behalf of the user. That, that information can go in and the patient, uh, the person has the options to make it either public or private. If they make it public information, anyone that downloads the free app to any um, of their devices, and that is um, um, Android phones, Apple phones, uh, Blackberry, and now Microsoft, um, those people will only be able to see, the general public will only be able to see what the user deems to be public information. So we generally tell people, you know, give us your name, maybe your next of kin, and a telephone number that someone can contact. Um, Any information that they want to deem private only ems will be able to get that information like your medical histories and everything else once they're vetted by code for armor and that vetting process is very important because that process qualifies the person as a paramedic that they're in good standing with a service that they've gone through an online tutorial so they understand how code for armor works and 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 how it benefits them they have to get 100 percent on the questions that are available to them And um, and then once these um, people have been vetted, we send the list to their um, respective chiefs, deputy chiefs, and they send us a a yay or nay. Yes, that person is a valid paramedic with our service, or no, they're not. And if they they are, then we give them a token to their registered um, device that allows them to get now the whole entire profile on that patient. Otherwise, they if they don't go through go through our vetting process then they're just like every normal Joe out there. And all they're going to get is the public information, which is a great tool. And it complies with all of the current privacy standards and regulations um, in Canada and the U.S. Perfect. That's incredible. Yeah.
1: So if, again... Please tell the audience if somebody wants to get in touch with
2: you. How, what's the best way to do that? What website should they go to? Um, you can contact me through um, the Stamar EMS website. Um, that's triple then E M S com. Uh, you can contact us through through there, and um, uh, we have uh, people available to uh, to respond. Uh, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 uh, Eastern Standard Time, and um, we will uh, we'll respond either by uh, phone call back or by, uh, by uh, email or through the web.
1: Okay, perfect. Thank you. That's such an incredible journey, Mark, that you yeah, told us you. about. It's amazing. And it was an honor to speak with you today. So thank you for sharing. Thanks for having me on
2: your show. It was great. A lot of fun.
1: Well, thank you. And I want to thank each and every one of you for listening to this podcast. And please remember to subscribe and share. Thank you. And we will see you or hear you or speak to you on the next podcast.